We have some important things happening in the next two months. I want to just give you a real quick preview of what that is. Next week, we start our new sermon series entitled Practical Atheism. And I want to just let you know it's not a good idea to be a Christian atheist. It's not a good idea to be a practical atheist. But here's the catch. I think a lot of people that call themselves Christ followers probably are better defined as a Christian atheist or a practical atheist. And you may say, what's the definition? It's someone that believes in God but lives their life as if he doesn't exist. And I really hope that that you will be here all four weeks uh, during the month of August and that you will invite friends to join you. I think this is a series that's based on an excellent book uh, entitled The Christian Atheist. I think it will really touch many people that um, maybe have one foot in the church, one foot in the world, one foot in the faith, one foot uh, in the world, maybe help them realize what being a Christ follower is really all about. And you can see a lot of other events. I want to highlight September 4th, that's Labor Day weekend. Don't stay home that weekend. Come out. Kent's going to be preaching that day, and we're going to be helping Kent and Merla celebrate their 28th anniversary of ministry with our church here in Clinton. It's a long way away, but Apple and Pork Week weekend, I think six, seven weeks away, we have one service that day, and that'll be at 9.30 in the morning. And then families at first will kick off the last Wednesday in September. And I want to let you know, if you've never been to families at first, you will not want to miss what's going to take place that night. Have you heard of the show America's Got Talent? Anybody heard of that show? Well, we're going to have First Christian Church has got talent that night, and you will not want to miss what's going to take place. It's also going to be a fundraiser that night for Barb O'Donohue and the Cope Mission. So mark that down Wednesday, September 28th. We mentioned a while ago that we were going to be um, securing binders for your sermon outlines. We're going to invite Sunday school teachers, if they want to, to start printing their handouts in this format, as well as a Wednesday night families at first. We are selling these for our cost. On the front, it says First Christian Church of Clinton. On the inside, we've got some contact, inf- contact information and um, the Holy Spirit sermon series outlines and a couple other sermon series. You can get these in the foyer starting today for just $6. So if that would interest you, Please see Karen Rice and her crew. They are out there. And I want to echo what Ernie talked about with the church directory. This week and next week are really the key sign-up dates. From August 16 through September 2nd, the pictures are going to be taken. Some people have asked, do I have to be a member to be in the directory? No, you do not. Someone said, do I have to buy something to be in the directory? No, you do not. We're trying to get as many different individuals and families as possible that are connected with our church to uh, be a part of our 2011 church directory. And there is a table in the foyer if you have more information. And Karen Rice did want me to mention that if you think you might buy something, she has coupons that are available. So I'm not sure what that means, but check it out and you uh, will be blessed. Okay, last week... We started a real quick two-week look at maybe the most famous parable of all, the parable of the lost son. Some people have called it the parable of the prodigal son. So just to review, let me read for you the scripture that we studied last week. From Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 11, this is what God's word says. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got, all, got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, 
There was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And so they began to celebrate. And just to review where we were last week, I shared the observation that this most famous of parables, I believe, speaks to each and every one of us. I hope I'm going to make that more clear this week. The big idea is that the parable of the lost son really is a study in the heart. And I think we can draw the conclusion that the younger son, the lost son, the, parable, the, the, the uh, prodigal son is suffering from what we're going to call a selfish heart suffering from a selfish heart. And the lessons we learn from the pig pen, one, sin is never as satisfying as it appears. Secondly, the lost son did make the decision to make a change. We have to give him credit for that. But the brilliance in the 14 verses of Scripture that we studied last week is this. The love and the grace of God the Father is much greater than the sins of the Son. I hope you were listening this morning during worship, as song after song after song that Jim and Ruth and Dixie let us in, reaffirm that word, grace, grace, grace. The lesson I hope you learned last week is that grace makes all the difference in the world. And the love of the Father is so great. The grace of the Father is so great. That's our story. Well, we didn't wrap up last week. There's more to the parable. Many of you have heard the rest of the story, but as we dive in this morning, let's look at the rest of the story. Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 25. The story goes on. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Here's the servant's report. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Now the older brother became angry and refused to go in. And so his father went out and he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. 
Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours goes and squanders your property with prostitutes and he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for today and the chance to study this parable that many of us have read maybe all of our lives. I pray that for these next several minutes, our hearts would be open to the message that you have for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you, when someone has a heart condition, what's usually the first procedure that takes place? What's it called? A heart calf, right? Anybody here had a heart calf? Many of us probably have. I can remember with my father when he went in for his first heart calf, it gives you really a picture of what might be wrong with the heart that you just can't see from the outside. And so I ask you this question today. In our story, who needs a spiritual heart calf? Who would you say? How many of you would say the younger son needs a spiritual heart calf, the prodigal son, the lost son? I would. Suffering from a selfish heart, he needs a heart calf. That's the obvious answer. But don't miss it, my friends, this morning. The older son needs a heart calf as well. See, one is much more obvious, the other more subtle. But can I confess to you this morning, it's the subtle that worries me. It's the subtle that I'm afraid of. Because when I read about this older son, I, see, I start seeing pictures in my mind of people. One of those people is me. And I think if we were being honest, those of us who have spent our life in the church, we've spent our life following Jesus Christ, I think we would honestly have to answer that for many of us, we kind of connect with the older son. We're sitting there saying, you're right on, man. You never did get a young goat. Why should the father be going crazy after all the wild and extravagant and wasteful spending that's taken place? For many of us, we're right there with the older son. And yet, as we study this parable, I want you to see this morning that Jesus, he's about to take his sharpest scalpel to the Pharisees and to the teachers of the law, those who appear to be healthy and religious. The younger son, yes, suffering from a selfish heart, but catch this, the older son is suffering as well, and I think I would call his heart a self-righteous heart. The older son is suffering from a self-righteous 
heart. I want you to consider for just a moment the older son. Consider the life of the older son. He stayed loyal to his father right by his side. He'd spent most of his time in life watching his father, watching his behavior and his character and his faith. And so I asked this rhetorical question, should not the heart of the father have rubbed off on the older son? Should not this heart of the father have also been the heart of the older son? Look again, we read it early, but look again at the reaction of the father to the return of the prodigal. He squandered lots of resources, lots of money. His absence has created a void that the father had to fill one way or another. I can already begin to imagine in my mind what I would have heard from my father. Or what you might have heard from your father if you, if you would have behaved in such a way as an adolescence. But look at what the father did. Bring the best robe. A robe of distinction. Put a ring on his finger. A ring of authority. Place sandals on his feet. Sandals like a son. And then the kicker? The kicker of it all? Kill the fattened calf and let's have a party. My son was dead. He's now alive. My son was lost. He now has been found. It's party time. And this party will be one for the ages. That's the heart of the Father. That, that's the grace of God. And look at what we read about the reaction of the older son. Verse 28, he became angry. Verse 28, he refused to go in to the party, to the celebration. Verse 29, as he addresses his father, he says, All these years I've been, what? Slaving for you. And then maybe the most cutting of all the comments, in my opinion, in verse 30, he refers to his brother as this son of yours. What's he really saying? I'm done with him. He went too far. I've cut the string. Enough's enough. I've drawn a line in the sand. See, I believe the older son had at least four trouble spots, and please accept this with grace. If you've been in the church your whole life, Honestly, look at this list and see, does it connect? The older son had made the decision to define his own righteousness. He let his father know how good he was. He let his father know all he had done. He was defining his own righteousness. Secondly, he to showed a total lack of concern for his brother. I'm done with him. I've drawn my line in the sand. Number three. He was full of righteous anger. Now, I can't stand in the pulpit and say anger is always bad. Jesus got angry. Jesus turned the, the tables over in the temple. Many of us know that story. But this anger, this righteous anger is driving him. And then number four, most damning, more than likely, he had an unforgiving heart. He had a self-righteous heart. 
If I were to try to summarize the heart of this older brother, this older son, this model child in many ways, four words he's saying to his father, you've heard these if you're a parent, it's just not fair. It's just not fair. It's just not fair. Have you ever uttered such words? Have you ever looked out at a, maybe a family member, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor, and you're trying to live for the Lord, and they're, they're living however they want to, they're living for themselves, and good things seem to be happening to them, and struggles are coming your way, and maybe you cry out and you say, it's just not fair. Anyone? Anyone? That's the heart of the older son. It's just not fair fair. I read those words, I read this parable, and I think of Jonah. You remember the story of Jonah? Jonah ran away from God, Old Testament minor prophet. God grabbed a hold of him, had a big old fish swallow him up three days inside the belly of the fish, vomit him back up. Jonah agrees to go and do exactly what God wanted him to do, preach a revival in the greatest city of the day, the city of Nineveh. The entire city repents everyone comes to the Lord. You remember Jonah's reaction? Was he taking a victory lap? Was he patting himself on the back? What was he doing? He was angry at God because he wanted those people to perish. He cried out, it's just not fair. Jesus told a parable. We don't have time to even look at it this morning, but in your spare time, I'd encourage you to spend some time in Matthew chapter 20, the parable of the vineyard workers. Remember that story? The owner of the vineyard hired a bunch of people to work early in the day. He hired a couple people midday, and he hired someone at the very end of the day. And guess what they all got in the way of a wage? Exactly the same thing. And what did the ones that started at 5.30 in the morning say? That's just not fair. That's just not fair. Sound familiar? Ever uttered such words? See, this is the parable of the lost son. And if I was writing little uh, uh, paragraph headings, I think I would call this the parable of the lost sons, plural, because I believe the older son is just as lost, suffering from a self-righteous heart. And I think if we really, truly looked at this parable, openly and honestly, I think Jesus is trying to connect with the religious the apparently healthy, and give them a wake-up call. If you go back to the beginning of Luke chapter 15, it's a great chapter. Luke chapter 15 is the story of three parables. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. What's interesting when you look at this parable is who the parable is addressed to. Let me read this for you real quickly. It says, Now tax collectors and sinners were all gathering to hear him, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. Jesus is speaking 
to the tax collectors and the sinners, the scum of the earth. And he's speaking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, those who apparently have it all together. And who's the parable really addressed to? See, here's the final question I have for you this morning. Only you can answer this question. How is your heart this morning? How is your heart? You may say, I don't know. You may say, maybe I need a spiritual heart cath. You may say, maybe, just maybe, I need to be reminded how awesome God's grace really is. How wonderful and powerful the love of the Father is. Bottom line is this. Jesus was full of grace, and I mean full of grace, to imperfect people. Remember Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the wee little man? Jesus sought him out, and he changed his life forever. Do you remember the woman at the well who'd had five husbands and was living with someone else? What did he do? He showed her love and grace. And guess what? I'm imperfect. And you're imperfect. We've all fallen radically short of the grace, of, of, of the glory of God. And that's why I need grace. And that's why you need grace. One of my favorite preachers is a man by the name of Tim Keller, New York City preacher. I think he's a Presbyterian. And he's written a book entitled The Prodigal God. It's a book I recommend. Every longtime Christian should read that book. And in it, he defines the word prodigal. And so I have Kent Hickerson's, I couldn't find mine, Random House College Dictionary. Let's look up that word prodigal for just a minute. Prodigal, wasteful or recklessly extravagant is the first possible definition. I think that fits. But number two says, lavishly abundant. Giving or yielding profusely in a lavish way. And so I ask you today, Who's really truly defined by the word prodigal? Is it the son who ran away and spent a bunch of money? Or is it God the Father who lavishly, in a crazy kind of way, offers you and me the greatest gift he could possibly offer us? Forgiveness of sins. I think that's what Keller's talking about when he says, the prodigal God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the blessings you shower down upon us. And Father, it is my hope and my prayer that we will never lose an awe of what you've done for us. That while we hope people will continue to grow and study and worship and develop spiritually, We'll never get to the point to where we find ourselves crying out, it's just not fair. 
God, I'm thankful that grace isn't fair. I'm thankful that Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. And we're changed because of it forever. We love you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. And as Greg said that word over and over and over again this morning, I want us to think about God's grace this morning. Because it's obvious that none of us really deserve it, yet all of us have received that grace. And so this